So glad we can go to the arms of Jesus today, and I'm, I'm especially glad of that uh, right now. Uh, this week, uh, Perry wanted to be here to teach today, but uh, he and Leanne traveled to Mississippi this week for the funeral of her aunt. Uh, and uh, if you remember, Leanne's dad passed away a few months ago. So be, be praying for Leanne and her family, but I believe they are, are back or on their way back. But I'm here to, to teach today, and Perry gave me a passage uh, to teach on, and as I was preparing, um, I was asking God, what, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to say today? And I remembered, it came to mind, a verse that we looked at a few weeks ago as Perry was teaching on prayer, uh, which is Romans eight twenty six. It says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Thank the Lord. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. So I got the sense, you know, the Spirit is already praying for what he wants to see happen here today. And then last weekend, uh, we had our advisory team prayer retreat, and we looked at verse 34 of Romans 8, which tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father pleading for us. So the Spirit prays for us, Jesus is praying for us. So last weekend at our retreat, we started, instead of just jumping into prayer, we started asking God, what is your prayer? Let us in on what is the Spirit's prayer for us? What is Jesus' prayer for us? And so I did that this week. I'd been reading over the passage and I just stopped and I asked, Spirit of Jesus, what is your prayer for this passage? What is your prayer for this message today? And then I just, I just sat in quiet. I just listened for what, what came into my mind. And then I began to type what I sensed. And this is what I sensed, and I believe this is the voice of Jesus, uh, his prayer for us today. He said, my prayer is that my people will know me better and that they will follow the example of my friend who hung with me during my final hours on the cross, my friend who trusted me completely, even when most others were mocking me, ridiculing me. He surrendered to the influence of the Holy Spirit and boldly trusted his life to me. He is even with me now, and I look forward to introducing you to him. So that's my prayer for today, is that we would know Jesus better, and that we would follow the example of the man who was crucified beside him. And I noticed after I typed this, I had been studying this passage referring to the thief on the cross as a criminal and as a thief, but in this prayer that I typed, Jesus referred to him as his friend. So when I refer to the thief on the cross or the criminal on the cross today, remember that Jesus refers to him as a friend. Well, today we're continuing a series of messages that Perry started last week called Christ from the Cross. And we're looking at the seven last sayings that Jesus spoke while he was being crucified. Now, we we value all the words that Jesus said in the Bible, but something causes me to pay particular attention to the words that he spoke while he was hanging on the cross. Maybe it was because he was on his way to death. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who, who was dying, 
but we tend to pay uh, close attention to the final words that, that people speak when they're in hospice care, when they're dying. Maybe because it's a struggle to speak, maybe because we just know these are the These are the last words we're going to hear. And so it's kind of like that for these words of Jesus when he was on the cross. Though all his words are special, these these are extra special. Maybe because we know it was a struggle even for him to breathe while he was on the cross. So it took some extra effort just to speak these words. Now, as I said, all the words of Jesus are important. And I want to take just a minute to, to say why. Why are... Why is it so important to listen to the words of Jesus? One reason is the words of Jesus bring life. The words of Jesus bring life. They are words of life. The things that Jesus said uh, lead us to experience real life. In fact, if you read Genesis 1, you'll see that God actually spoke the the world into existence. His words brought life. Um, In John 6, verse 63, Jesus said, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. We, we can't gain eternal life by any of our efforts or, or any of our works. And then he said, and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words of Jesus are life. They bring life. Second, the words of Jesus bring peace. They're words of peace. John 16, Jesus said, I've told you all this, all these things I've told you, all these words I've given you, he said, I've given them to you so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So Jesus gave us his word so that we could have peace. Living in a relationship with Jesus does not eliminate troubles and sorrows doesn't eliminate bad things so you can put aside the fantasy that when you have a relationship with Jesus you'll have plenty of money everything will work out the way you want it to that's that's not how it happens in fact you may have more suffering because you have a relationship with Christ however in the midst of all the troubles that life brings we can find peace in the words of Jesus and then third Jesus words also bring freedom freedom in John 8, 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, to my words, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the truth that he speaks will set us free. Free from what? Free from being a slave to sin, which leads us to death. Being a slave to sin leads us to death. Romans 8, 6 says, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. So we are experiencing death if we are letting our our selfish wants, our selfish desires control our mind. But then Romans 8, 6, letting the spirit control your mind, letting God's word, his teachings Letting him wash our mind, change the way we think, leads to life and peace. Life and peace. So the words of Jesus can free you from the chains that sin puts on you. The anxiety, the fear, the self-focus that leads to death. And the words of Jesus can bring you life and peace. 
So today we're going to look at the specific words of Jesus that he said on the cross. More focus. We're going to look at the second saying of Jesus that he said while he was on the cross. So we're going to look at Luke 23. This is where we're going to camp out for most of our time today. And if you're using the Bible that we sell in the bookstore, it is on page 849. Luke 23, we're going to start with uh, verse 32. So I want us, before we actually look at that second saying, I want us to get the setting or the context. So we're going to look back at some of the verses we read last week uh, to get the scene of what these criminals were experiencing on the cross, because we're going to look at specifically what Jesus said Uh, to one of the criminals who was hanging there with him. Luke 23, verses 32 and 33. It says, Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. So Jesus was crucified right in the middle of two criminals. He not only died among them, he was counted as one of them. He was counted as a criminal. If you read uh, the prophecy of Jesus from the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, you'll see that it says that he was buried like a criminal. And it says he was counted among the rebels. So this fulfilled the prophecy of the Old Testament. Right in the midst of criminals, even counted as one. So... Jesus was born in a feed trough. He died as a criminal. So there's no way to say that God didn't choose to identify with the lowest of humanity when he was here on earth. He chose to hang out and be identified with the worst of us. So if you think, if you're here today and you think you're too bad, you're too far gone to be reached by the love of Jesus please notice that he chose to identify with these criminals in his death. So as Jesus hung on the cross, these two criminals must have noticed what was going on. They could see the scene of what's happening. And so here's here's a glimpse of what they were seeing. Let's read verse 34. Here's what's going on. They heard uh, the saying of Jesus we we looked at last week, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. So this is what the criminals are seeing. They see Jesus offering forgiveness to those who are crucifying him and those who are throwing insults at him. So I'd imagine that's, that's pretty uh, powerful, pretty impactful right there to hear these words. And then they hear people talking about how this, this Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. He's referenced as the king of the Jews. So as I looked at that, trying to put myself in the place of the criminals, 
I was thinking maybe they started to wonder, could it be true? Could, could this man truly be the Messiah? And then in verse 39, we see the reaction of one of the criminals who's hanging on the cross. Verse 39, it says, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. So this first criminal doesn't sound like he thinks that Jesus is the Messiah. But he's, he's about to die. He's, he's at his last resort. He's at, at his last, uh, last thing to, to reach for. And so maybe he's thinking, well, let me just make a request just in case he's the Messiah. So he's grasping at whatever he can to save his physical life. Kind of reminds me of the people who, who try whatever, whatever they can find, whatever gods there are out there, whatever methods, whatever trinkets, whatever I can find to get myself ahead in this life, I'm going to try it. So if it helps me to go to church, if going to church will bless my business, I'll go to church. If carrying a rabbit's foot in my pocket will give me good luck, I'll carry a rabbit's foot. If visiting the Buddha will, will bless me, I'll visit the Buddha. Whatever I can try, I'll try it just to get me ahead in this life. And many of us come to Christ that way. We come to Christ saying, you know, I'm in a bind, so God, if you get me out of this bind, I'll follow you. If you make things happen the way I want them, I will follow you. But that's not faith. That's self-centeredness. That's gambling that one of these gods or that Jesus is going to help me. And when we start to suffer or when we experience pain, we blame God because we're not getting the good things in this life that we expected because we have the wrong expectation. So as we look at the words of Jesus today, let me ask you, why do you have an interest in Jesus? Is it just in case he has something for you? Is it just in case he can get you into heaven? Is it just in case he might bless you with something? Or do you truly believe that you can trust everything you are and everything you have to Jesus do you truly believe that you can find real life for now and eternity through Jesus Christ? We're going to present the words of Jesus today. And I believe we're going to find some life and some peace and some freedom if we open ourselves up to that. So how do I let Jesus' words give me life? How do I let Jesus' words give me real life? We're going to follow the example of Jesus' friend on the cross. First step is to acknowledge that Jesus is God. Acknowledge Jesus is God. Only one can be truly God. If you try to have multiple gods, it just it doesn't make sense. If you try to have multiple gods, you're basically making yourself God. Ultimately, there can be only one. God doesn't share the throne with anyone else. God says there'll be no other gods before me. That's why he's God. He's number one. So let's look at the perspective of this thief on the cross. Verse 40 
of Luke 23. He's speaking back to the first criminal. It says, the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? Don't you fear God? Now, this criminal's watching the same thing that the first criminal's watching. He's hearing the same words of Jesus. He's hearing the same things that people are speaking, but it hits him differently. He's hearing the claims about Jesus being the Messiah. He's watching the way Jesus is behaving, the words that Jesus is saying, the way Jesus is dying with love and forgiveness for the people who are killing him. And this thief says to the other criminal, don't you fear God? And so that makes me wonder, does he think that Jesus is God? Well, at the least, he at least thinks that Jesus is somebody very special to God. If not acknowledging that Jesus is really God. How does he come to this conclusion? Only way could be that God has revealed it to this guy on the cross. It's like in Matthew 16, when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And in verse 17, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. So I believe that God revealed this to the thief on the cross, that Jesus is God. So if you're here today and you're feeling the sense that Jesus is really God, that's a sign that the Spirit is working in you or has already worked in you. 1 John 4, 15 says, All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. Acknowledging Jesus as God is a sign that God lives in you. But just like those thieves on the cross, we also have been sentenced to death. We've been sentenced to separation from God forever because of our sin. That has separated us from God because he's holy. And so the same question comes to us. Don't you fear God? If you're trying to use God to fulfill your own wants and desires in this life, don't you fear God? Are you willing to surrender yourself to God? Let him be in charge in order to experience real life? Give up being God yourself and acknowledge that Jesus really is God. Will you at least open yourself to the premise that Jesus is God today? That's the first step to real life. Jesus, you are God. And the next step to real life, number two, is to admit my sin. Admit my sin. Admit my self-centeredness, admit my need for God. The thief on the cross, Luke 23, goes on to say in verse 41, we deserve to die for our crimes. Again, he's talking to the other criminal. He says, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man, referring to Jesus, this man hasn't done anything wrong. So he admitted that he had committed a crime. He admitted that he deserved death. But somehow, he knew that Jesus had done nothing wrong. 
Maybe from watching the situation of Jesus being brought to, to the cross or maybe just God revealed it to him. But he knew Jesus had done nothing wrong. So this criminal took a significant step toward finding eternal life and peace when he admitted, I've done wrong. I deserve what I'm getting. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So when we recognize that our own efforts at life only bring us death, have only brought us pain, have only brought us misery, then we're much more open to reach out for God. When we realize that that we're at the end of what we can do for ourselves, we're much more apt to accept what God has for us. But as long as we feel we're self-sufficient, then we feel we really have no need of God. So what about you? Do you feel that life's not fair? That you deserve better treatment from God? Do you feel like you've got this life? You can make it on your own? Then you're in a dangerous place. But if you feel like you're at the end of your rope, if you feel like you don't know how to deal with the pain or the anxiety or how to fill up what's missing in your life, then there's hope for you. If you just admit, I've messed up. I've sinned against God. I deserve everything bad that's coming to me. Everything bad I'm going through, I deserve it. And I can't get out of this on my own. I remember feeling that feeling. I am helpless to resist the temptation around me. God, what do I do? When we're honest about our situation, we take ownership that we've sinned. The bad stuff in our life is likely, most of it is because of our own doing. When we recognize that, that's a key step toward finding real life. Just as this thief admitted, we deserve what we're getting. The next step, number three, is to trust my life to Jesus. Trust my life to Jesus. For those of you who are here and this is something you've done long ago, it continues every day. Every day, trusting our life to Jesus. This criminal on the cross surrendered to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We can almost see it happening as as we watch his words. John 16 tells us that the Spirit causes us uh, to be sick of our sin uh, and to long for our Heavenly Father and that the Spirit guides us into truth. So I believe the Spirit of God was guiding this criminal on the cross and he expressed it by trusting his life to Jesus. In verse 42, these are key words that uh, the thief on the cross said. It says, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is key. First, he called out to Jesus. There's no doubt who he's talking to. There's no doubt who he's reaching out to. Jesus. Call the name of Jesus. If you're here and you are feeling without hope, call out to Jesus. He's the one who can give you hope. And then the, the thief says, 
remember me. Remember me. Now, what does that mean when he says, remember me? I, I was trying to think of, what, what is he saying? When might some of us say to somebody, remember me? And I would say that to somebody who I think is going to be doing better off than me. I'm in a terrible fix. You're going to be doing better off than me. So when you get there, when you get where you're going or get what's coming to you, take me with you. Remember me. When you win the lottery, remember me. You know, my kids, when you finish school and get a good job and I get old, remember me. And when I'm at a place where I can't, I can't make it in this life, remember me. And so that thief on the cross, he's got no other hope. He's dying. He's close to death. I've got no hope. I'm dying on a cross. I have no hope of a lawyer showing up and saying, you know, he's not guilty. Take him down off the cross. He says, I know I'm guilty. I know I deserve what I'm getting. I have no hope of continuing in this life. I have no hope of changing my situation. So Jesus, I'm turning it all over to you because I believe you're going to be doing much better off than me. I want to go where you're going. Take me with you. Remember me. So where am I going to find a place, a person that I can trust when I when I've got no hope in this life. He's saying, Jesus. The thief put his trust, he put his life, he put his eternity in the hands of Jesus. In front of everyone watching, he says, remember me. And then he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Your kingdom. Now that is, is very odd. If you're watching and there's, three people dying on a cross and one of them says to the other remember me when you come into your kingdom so it's obvious that he's not talking about a kingdom on this earth because they're all about to die so he believes Jesus you're about to be king somewhere you're about to enter your rule you're about to go to a place that is beyond this life and I believe, Jesus, you're going to be in charge. So when you get to that kingdom, I want you to remember me. And I recognize you will be in charge, you'll be king, you'll be Lord. He placed his trust in Christ for his eternity. He was led by the Spirit to carry out the words of Romans 10. And this, if you, if you are looking to start a relationship with Jesus Christ... This is a great place to look. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The thief openly declared, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. You're Lord. You're in charge. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. The thief believed in his heart that Jesus was, was going to be alive somewhere after this death. And he trusted his life to him. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's available to anyone. This salvation, this hope, 
this eternal life. So the thief basically said, I trust you, Jesus. Remember me when you were king. When you get past this life, take me with you. I submit to you. And in his surrender, he found real life there on the cross. It's a a great picture of hope in the midst of despair. He found real life. So what's the next step? The next step, number four, is to receive the love of God. Receive the love of God. And this is where some of us get hung up. We've gone through the process of surrendering our life to God, but sometimes there's still this sense that, well, God still wants to punish me. God still wants to take me down from my sin. Receive the love of God. If you want to experience real life, the good news is Jesus died for you. And when you acknowledge Jesus as God and admit your sin and trust your life to him, you can receive his love. Sometimes I have difficulty, I have to admit, I have difficulty receiving his love. Because I remember my sin. My sin is ever before me. I have to continually confess. But I also need to receive his love. Last weekend on our prayer retreat, we went through this exercise where uh, we asked God uh, to tell us what he loved about each of the other people that were in the room with us. And then we would write it down on a a post-it note and then put that post-it up on the wall under their name. So we did that and then I had all these post-its under my name of nice things people had written about me that were supposedly Uh, what they prayed and asked God to show them about me. And as I read these notes, I said, well, he doesn't really know me. He's just trying to say something nice about me. It was difficult to receive. These were the words of God of love for me. God loves us. We need to receive his love. Here's what Jesus said to his friend on the cross after his friend said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I can imagine Jesus straining to turn and look at this man. Verse 43, and Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. What do you think it would have been like to hear those words spoken to you by the Son of God? I assure you. He's saying this is the truth. I'm speaking truth to you. You can have absolute trust and confidence in what I'm saying to you. I assure you. And then Jesus says today. This is a very significant word. He says today. And it's also a significant comma that comes before the word today. It is significant that it is placed there. You know, some have suggested that the comma should be placed after the word today. Making it sound like Jesus is saying, I assure you today that you will be with me in paradise. But I don't believe that's where it should go. I believe the comma is in the right place. Meaning, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. 
Why do I believe the comma is in the right place? One, because hundreds of scholars who have researched the Greek language have interpreted it that way and have written it that way in the scripture. But a second reason is because of 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, which says, Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. So I believe that teaches that when we leave these earthly bodies, when I die, that I immediately will be with the Lord. Now I'll give you some, some stuff that's, that's my opinion of what the Bible teaches, but I believe that when we die, the essence of who we are, our soul and spirit goes immediately to be with, with Jesus. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 talks about how we are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. So I believe that our soul and spirit leaves our physical body and goes immediately to be with Jesus. And then when Jesus returns at the final resurrection, our soul and spirit takes on a new spiritual body. And if you want to read some more of that, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. Of course, I hadn't been there. So that's my opinion, but I believe that when Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise, that he meant today. If I die today, I'm going to be with Jesus immediately. My spirit and soul lives on. So Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. Well, where's paradise? Theologians debate over whether paradise is a holding place until the final resurrection or it's heaven Whether you call it heaven or paradise, it's a place to be with Jesus. And it's a place that I go immediately when I die. It's a place where I can be with loved ones who've gone on before me. It's a place where I can experience eternal life, not just a quantity of life, but a quality of life. It's a place where I fully experience the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, without having to deal with the the cravings and the desires of this natural body. It's heaven to me. And I believe we can have assurance that when we die, we can immediately be with Jesus. The thief, Jesus' friend, trusted his life to Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So, I have some questions for us today. Here's the key question of the day. Ask yourself, do I have trust and confidence that those words of Jesus are real for me? I'll say it another way. Do I have assurance that I will be with Jesus in paradise? And a related question, do I believe Jesus has words of life for me today? Do I have assurance I'll be with Jesus in paradise Do I believe he has words of life for me today? I'd like us to just take a moment just to focus on God and and to, to hear from him. So I'd like to ask you to close your eyes just to help us block out any distraction and to help us connect with our creator. And I'm going to guide your prayer time. If you believe that you've trusted your life in eternity to Jesus and you have assurance that you'll be with Jesus in paradise then just thank him right now.
Receive his love in your mind. Receive those words. You will be with me in paradise. Thank him for eternal life. Thank him for the love and the peace that he gives. Keep living by faith and that surrender to him. But if you're here today and you're not sure if these words of Jesus apply to you, you're not sure that you'll be with him in paradise, but you want to be, then consider this. It was a simple trust, a simple faith that connected the criminal to Jesus. Nothing else. So let me ask you some questions. If you want to have assurance of a relationship with Jesus and eternal life, Do you acknowledge that Jesus is God? As much as you understand the things you've heard from the Bible or heard people say, do you believe that Jesus is God? If yes, then just tell him. You can tell him in your mind, I believe you are God. Do you admit that you've sinned, that the focus of your life has been on yourself and your life has not been submitted to God? If yes, then admit that to him now. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that he forgives you for everything you've ever done? Are you willing to trust the rest of your life and your eternity to him? Are you willing to surrender the control of your life to Jesus? If yes, then tell him now. He can read your mind. Just tell him. Based on God's promise, if you trust your life to him, you will be with him in paradise. Now ask God, all of us, ask God, What's the next step you have for me? If you trusted your life to Jesus for the first time today, I want you to consider these steps. One step you can take, it may be to come tell somebody up front that you've taken a step to surrender your life to Jesus. Let them give you some materials to help you develop your relationship with God. I'm going to ask counselors to come on up now. Another step you can take is to publicly declare your faith in Jesus by being baptized. Our next baptism class is right after this service. You can find the location in your program. They can help you understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is and what baptism is and how it happens. Take a step to tell somebody about the decision you've made or take a step to talk to somebody about any prayer need you have. You can talk to the counselors up front. You can talk to someone in the care connection room. or You can go to the baptism class. Take a step to continue that relationship with God. I invite you to speak with someone after I pray. Father, we pray that you speak to our minds the words you have for us. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for this example of your love through Jesus.
and the example of trusting his life to you through this man on the cross. Well, we trust our lives to you, and we thank you for what you'll continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming today.